0: All right, guys, how are you guys doing today? Good, good. good. I'm going to move this over a little bit. Um, did we pass the basket yet for offering? Yes. Did we do that already? Okay, good. Um, wow. You know, uh, last, last Sunday, uh, my daughter and my wife had a little show up in Kennet Square, and the guy in between he, they had another guy play. And in the beginning, the first couple songs, he was like, whoa, I am so nervous. He's like, I can't believe I'm shaking so much. He's like, I've performed hundred times. But when you do something you care about, you generally get a little nervous. So I feel a little nervous. A little. Uh, if you see me sweating or if I stutter, um, don't make fun of me. Okay, that's all I ask. Um, so we're doing this series. You want to put it up here? There we go. Life's toughest questions. Um, have you guys appreciated this series so far? Have there been some good things that we've talked about? Um, and, and, you know, something that I really care about is having an authentic faith and, and not shying away from the questions that we might have or the questions that the world has about our faith or about who God is, who Jesus is. And so we've tackled some some tough ones, you know, and the questions like, you know, what is, what is humanity's purpose on earth? You know, we, we covered that in about half an hour. We captured that pretty easily. You know, like a lot of these questions that we've talked about, you know, what science and faith, have the work together? A lot of these questions we haven't answered, but hopefully we started a a kind of a a thirst, a quest to to get those answers for us individually, a journey that we're going on. And so we're going to end this this last one. Um, And the question I'm going to talk about today is, why do people walk away from faith? And this is a close one to my heart. I was raised as a Christian. Um, Both my parents were pastors. And I was raised... You know, I was homeschooled some, so you know I was sheltered and weird. Um, and that's okay, because weird is good in this world. Um, but I was also in a... I went to a private Christian school. And what we saw happen, what I saw happen is a lot of my friends who were raised in this sheltered environment, once they got out and experienced the world, like their faith blew up. like It was like they left everything behind and, and, and walked away from God. And, and my heart was, was broken and... and what, why is this so fragile? Why is this faith that we're raised with so so weak that it can't withstand, you know, stepping out into new places and experiencing new new people and and ideas and philosophies? And so that was something that was really hard. And you know, I think it's easy to ignore the question why people walk away from faith because sometimes when you actually dig into it, it produces it, stirs up within in you like, oh, I haven't really thought about that. You know, maybe it starts making you feel insecure or doubt what what you've always believed from when you were a two-year-old, you know, when when someone told you about God and you start feeling a little bit shaky. And this is the thing, two-thirds of Christians, this is from Barna group that do a whole bunch of, you know, studying and surveys, two-thirds of Christians experience significant spiritual doubt in their adult lives. So two-thirds of you probably in this room have experienced significant spiritual doubt where you have thought, is what I've been taught just crazy? You know, and I know that I've been through times where, where this doubt is, is real and it's strong and it, and it sticks with you and you wonder. And if you don't allow yourself to ask the questions, and if you're just saying, well, no, I just need to believe, I just need to forget about these questions, then I think that creates a shallow faith. And God is interested in something authentic in us, something that is real and true, something that can withstand life and what we experience, because he knows That our faith is going to be questioned. He knows that we're going to be challenged at times. And I think we need to be able to listen to the times of doubt and not get freaked out. Like, oh my goodness, am I going to lose? You know, is everything I've been taught a lie? Instead, embrace it and say, okay, God, if you're really God, you're not going to be threatened by my doubt or my questions. But actually, we're going to go on a journey together where maybe there are some things I'm holding on to that actually are not true about you that I've got to let go. And maybe there's some things that you need to do in me, or maybe there's a time that I need to step away from it all and say, all right, I don't believe, I'm starting over, I'm breaking this all down, we're, we're, you know, we need to figure this out together. Are you real? And so, there are a lot of people who are raised in church, especially like my generation and younger, who have been raised with, in some kind of religious environment, but they have since then walked away from faith. And I think it's something that we need to talk about and it's something that we need to continue to address and not be afraid of. Like, this is my heart for my kids. I want them to ask questions. I don't want to sit them down and say, this is the way it is. If you question this, you're ridiculous. You're going to hell, you know, whatever. You know, I want them, even if they're like, You know, I don't even want to be a Christian anymore. Now that might be sad to me on a personal scale, but I want them to go through that process so that when they decide what is true, when they come to a place of peace in their heart, they know. And so what we've seen is a lot of people growing up in a religious environment, they grow up and and adult life happens and they begin to question like, well, do I really believe in Adam and Eve? And do I really believe in Noah's Ark? And, and do I really believe that God is here for me all the time? And, and life begins to happen. And slowly, holes are poked into their belief. And so they, they begin. We've seen a whole lot of people just be like, ah, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I believe anymore. But then if you swing over to the other side, if you don't want to believe in God, then there's atheism. And, and, do you, and a lot of people are like, I don't know if I really believe that I'm just like biological, and I, I have a beginning and an end, and life is meaningless, and there's no structure or order in this world, and that that makes people feel like I don't know if I believe in that, and so most people are stuck in the middle, somewhere in between, like yeah, I, you know, I was raised this way, or I've been taught about God, but then you know, then there's this atheism, this like idea that there's nothing out there bigger than me or whatever, and so they're stuck in this place of insecurity and, and not knowing, and there's a lot of people who have spoken up about deconverting from christianity you know that is so you know what it means to be converted deconverting is saying i'm taking this i was a christian and i'm putting it away i'm walking away from it and there's a lot of people who have talked about it um and if you listen to the stories of most people who have walked away from christianity or religion what's really sad to me is it's not it's not because of jesus It's because of some ideas and some thoughts, some things have been taught to people that have never settled right. Because you know what? Those things aren't true. And so they have experienced this. So this is what it looks like. So, a lot of people grow up in a religious environment, like church. If you're a kid here, you're growing up in a religious environment. all right. And they experience a childhood conversion. They give their lives to Jesus, or they find, you know, that... They transition, then, to an irreligious environment, and so that maybe they go to college, or they get a new group of friends, or maybe you go from homeschooling to public school, which is radically different, which we did with our kids when they' were in ninth grade, seventh grade, fifth grade, and you know we just said, "Go. <laughs> Experience." And we both didn't go to public school, so we don't know what's there and they're like, "You don't know what it's like." And we're like, "No, we don't. And so they go there to this irreligious environment. You know, maybe you move and you find a new group of friends. And this is the thing: They liked it. A lot. They're like, oh my goodness, there's like not these rules, there's this freedom, there's this like experience that I can have. All right. And so they began asking adult questions about their childhood faith, about what they were taught when they were little, and began asking, well, is this is this really true? You know, this is there's a lot of people I've just met that don't believe any of this stuff. Can I be one of those people? Because it's a lot more fun, or whatever. And they received faith-based answers to fact-based questions. And we talked about this last week with science, where you you get this, oh, no, no, you just have to believe, versus going deeper and really getting to the questions, answers that are there. All right, or maybe they're like this. Oh, and then one author said, one day it dawned on me, I didn't believe anymore. You know, belief is weird. It's not something that you just like, I believe now. It's like a, a kind of a process, a journey. And a lot of people, I think, go through this experience and they just, I don't believe. You know, maybe they're still involved in some sort of religious thing, but they don't believe anymore. This is happening, guys. Right? I'm sure you know people who have experienced this, where they just say, I've walked away from it. Or maybe it's like this. You grew up in a religious environment. You experienced childhood conversion. You experienced a faith-crushing event. Right? Something happened to you, something that you saw in your life. Maybe there was a divorce of your Christian parents, or maybe there was something terrible that happened in your church, or your pastor, or whatever. Began asking adult questions about childhood faith. Receive faith based answers to fact based questions, which does not satisfy the soul. If someone just says you need to believe more, sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes you need adult answers. You need to have adult conversations. That sounds weird, but adult like mature conversations, okay? Another blogger said, One day it dawned on me, I couldn't. Because of what happened to me, I couldn't believe anymore. I want to. I want to believe in this God. I want to believe, but what I've seen, the representation of the church and how corrupt, you know, a lot of people think the church is what has caused a lot of evil in the world. Religion is what has caused a lot of poverty and division, destruction, right? And they look at it and say, I can't, I can't believe anymore. Do you think this, these kind of things make God so happy? No, it breaks his heart, right? And so, or maybe you're just someone who had a lot of questions. And you went to your pastor or you went to your parents and they, they didn't want to deal with your doubt or your questions. And they, they maybe had some doubt that they didn't discover or whatever. And then you got older and you asked adult questions and you got faith-based answers. And so a lot of these things come down to this root that I'm going to call a somebody told me so God. All right, And this is kind of like this is what someone told you about God. Do you ever remember as a kid, people tell you stuff, and then when you got older and when you actually did your own research, you realized, like, that's, that's not, that wasn't true. I believe this all this time. But oftentimes, when someone speaks to you in a way of authority, when you're little, you believe it, right? You just suck it up, you know, it's, it's just what it is. And oftentimes, we don't do the hard work to actually get to the bottom of whether this is true or not. And so these, somebody told me, so God, right, we're going to go over them, and I believe there's things in all of us that actually have a root. Like we believe in some of these things that God, that someone told us about. But maybe, maybe it's not real. And maybe we believe in something that's not true. That sounds really confusing, but I'll get to it. This quote really stood up to, to, to me. Um, this is Karen Armstrong in the, the book, The Case for God. And she said, Many of us have been left stranded with an incoherent concept of God. We learned about God about the same time we were told about Santa Claus, right? And that's really true. But while our understanding of the Santa Claus phenomenon evolved and matured, have you ever met an adult who actually believes in Santa Claus? That would be so sad, right? If the, every Christmas like, there was an adult who was like, I can't believe Santa! That's the whole basis of Elf, right? I mean, that's why it's hilarious, because he, it's all real to him, right? Santa! And so our theology remained somewhat... Infantile, right? Infantile. Not surprisingly, when we attained intellectual maturity, right, we're all growing. We're all asking all bigger questions as we get older. Many of us rejected the God we had inherited and denied that He existed. See, this is the thing. When you inherit something, oftentimes you don't do the work to actually know what it is you inherit. If you're just taught when you're little, oftentimes when you get older, you want to walk away from it. And so there's a lot of, this is how I feel about my kids. Like I, I don't want to be the answer for everything for them. I want them to find out on their own. They might come to me they may come to Rebecca and say, hey, we have questions about this. But we're not going to sit there and just preach to them and say, this is what you must believe because you're a latchaw. Right? And that doesn't work. They have to find it on their own. They have to discover who God is on their own. They have to know it. They have to believe it, or else it's not going to be able to stand the test of time. And so we've inherited, and it reminded me of this scripture that Paul wrote to the church in Corinthians, and he said this, when I was a child, and this is in the Bible, and Paul's an apostle, he wrote a lot of the New Testament, he said, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. So that's the idea that when you're a child, there's things that you have that are good. There's things that you believe that are that are good. But when you get older, when you grow up, you need to put away the childish things. And part of that is we need to have an adult-level faith in our lives. We need to be people who don't exist in these childhood beliefs, but we actually grow up. And you know, there's so many funny things. I did some research about things that children believe. And you guys probably have a lot of thoughts, like, what did you believe that you realized as you grew up wasn't true? And so I did a ton of research, and this is from Reader's Digest, but these are a few things that kids believed that would be so ridiculous if an adult believed it. I believe that the people in the past lived in a black and white world, because old old pictures were only black and white. Anybody? If If that was you, raise your hand. Anybody? Yep, there we go. Okay, Ted. All right. I believe that white cows made white milk and brown cows made chocolate milk. Anybody believe that? Yes. All right. All right. I believe that if the ice cream truck was playing music, it meant that it was out of ice cream. Thanks, Mom. Right? I believe that the spider webs in the basement were heat webs. When I was 25, my now ex-wife said of our new place, the basement has a lot of spider webs. I said, maybe they are heat webs. But as I said, it occurred to me that my whole life was a lie. I think that's the funniest thing, actually, when you hold on as you have a childhood belief that you hold on to until you're in a a, uh, conversation with other people and you realize, oh, what I believed all my childhood was not true. Um, Being very sheltered, there's some things that you, like, you know, learn. I mean, I know that I've had some very funny conversations with my family, my my siblings, about sex, of what we thought about sex was growing up and how it really was so radically different. So... um, I believe that if I put my finger in my belly button, I would go as flat as a pancake. I was in ninth grade when I finally got the nerve to try it. Right? So weird. Okay. I believe that Lifesavers candy kept you alive. My great-grandma gave me a tiny roll of them and told me if you lose your Lifesavers, you die. When she died that summer, I told everyone it's because she lost her Lifesavers. Um, I remember after watching Jaws as a kid, and I used to like be afraid to sit on the potty, because I was afraid a shark was going to come up through the pipes and bite me on the butt. That was, that's, that's true. I used to really be afraid of that. Um, I believe that the nuclear plant near where we grew up was a cloud machine. It had a constant billow of smoke above it, and that's what my mother told me. I thought it was awesome. All right. So... You have these childhood beliefs that if you hold on to them, if they don't morph, if they don't mature, if they don't grow, then they're going to, you're going to look ridiculous, right? And I think that's part of these growing up gods that we have learned, that we hold on to, you know, that have caused so many people to say, you know, I'm out. I'm done. I, I, can't, I can't believe any longer if I'm holding on to these things. We need to, all of us need to let our faith mature because I know that for me, I hold on to some of my childhood growing up gods these things and so these things we're going to talk about now I'm not going to be able to cover in detail every one of them because you could actually spend a whole teaching or a whole four weeks or a year or a lifetime figuring this stuff out but I'm going to go over them and what I'm going to ask you guys to do is just look inside and see is this something that actually I believe that and it holds me back from fully accepting and embracing faith so here we go the first one is the bodyguard god now, the bodyguard God is something like this. It doesn't allow, God doesn't allow bad things to happen to good people. Have you guys ever heard anybody talk about why they don't want to believe in God because there's bad things happening to good people? It's a problem of suffering, and it's a huge deal because this world has a lot of it. And, and people struggle so much with the, the things. If God is good, why doesn't he protect his people? Why doesn't he take care of them? Why do bad things happen to good people? Have you ever thought that question? Raise your hand if you did. Right. A lot of us have. All right. And 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 so growing up, what you're taught is God will protect you. God is in your life. And that's okay to teach a four year old like you can pray and God will be with you. God will take care of you. God will hold you. God will never let anything happen to you. But as you grow up, you begin to realize that's not true. Like when you begin to experience life and the pain of life, you begin to experience, well, you know what? God cannot keep me safe all the time. You know, one, one huge example of this, and Christian gave you permission, but when Christian and Mandy lost not only their one child at a very late term stillbirth, but their second child, like, you know, just a little while after that very late, short term, late term stillbirth, journeying with Mandy and Christian as they were suffering, these were some of the best people I knew. These were some of the most obedient people I knew. But they were suffering so tremendously. Like, like you know, it was like we actually wondered, will Christian and Mandy ever be back? You know, because it had broken them so much. We wondered if they were ever going to be the same people again. And they're not, but God made them better. But, you know, like a lot of people see that and they walk away. But no one has ever made the argument, this argument right here, a good God would not allow bad things to happen to good people. Since bad things never happen to good people, there must be a good God. No one ever says that. In fact, actually, if you look at the start of Christianity, it began with a horrible thing happening to one of the best people ever. Jesus dying. And if you look at the first century, the church was continually persecuted and attacked by the Roman government. They were continually being you know, lots of bad stuff. death, burning at the stake. You know, that, this was not the message of Jesus. This was not the message. Hey, if you trust me, everything will be great in your life. And where that's come from, a lot of it is this weird idea of this prosperity gospel where, you know, if you trust in God, he will make you rich and he will make you problem free. And he will prosper you abundantly so that you will be, you know, you will be an example to all people. Like, hey, I obeyed God, so look how great my life is. That's not Jesus. That's not even God. If you believe in the bodyguard God, guess what? He doesn't exist. Stop believing. Walk away from him. Actually, Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians because he was a missionary. He was sharing the gospel. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Does this sound like someone who has an easy life? Hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. Like, let's let go of the bodyguard God. Can we agree that's not part of who God really is? So the next one is the on-demand God. And he's similar to the bodyguard God, but it's the idea that God who responds to fair and selfless requests, the way that we would. Have you ever thought about this? Man, if I were God, I would, I, would, I would answer this prayer right away. Man, I'm so kind. I would do this. God, why don't you do it? I'm not even as nice as you. I know it. So where are you, God? Why won't you answer? And so if you grow up believing on the on-demand God, that as you get older and you realize, has anybody in this room ever had a prayer request and not answered? Yeah. You realize this isn't... It feels like a lot of times I pray, God doesn't answer my prayers. What, what, what is this about? Why aren't you responding, God, the way that I would? I'm just praying for my children. You know, don't you love my children? Why don't you do something? And the, the, the thought is, this guy, John Stott, he's a Christian author. He writes that God will answer no if the things we ask for are either not good in themselves or not good for us. Or for others, directly or indirectly, immediately or ultimately. Basically, this quote means, God is not a genie that you can tell what to do. And oftentimes, we don't realize the repercussions of God answering prayers. I always remember Bruce Almighty, when he had the power of God, remember, and he got all those emails in all the time about these, and he just answered yes to everything. And like the whole world basically was like destroyed because you can't answer yes to everything because God is so much wiser and my question for us who believe in the on-demand God is who told you God was like that who told you that God is at your beck and call does what you ask him to do that God is there to be told and pushed around it's not this is not the God that we serve we actually have to let go of this idea Right? And, and there's ideas out there like become more effective in prayer. You know, three keys to, to unlocking the spiritual realm and, and seeing heaven come down to earth. And you know what? We can try to find as many formulas as possible. But in the end, God is not going to be someone we push around and tell what to do. He is far bigger than that. And he's not there just to answer all of our prayer requests. Thank God. Because some prayers I asked when I was 15 or 16 I would be in big trouble if he answered them, right? I mean, there's things that we ask that we have no idea what we're asking. Okay, next one. This is the boyfriend God <laughs> uh, or girlfriend God, right? This is the idea that God's presence is always felt, that he's always there. He's like this, uh, the best boyfriend or girlfriend you could ever imagine, right? He's like so romantic and he's like pursuing us all the time. He's like, oh God, oh God. You know, he's writing us love letters. You know, he's, 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 you know, the more that you feel, the closer he is, right? This is actually a belief that people are raised. I was kind of raised that way, right? I was raised in a very, very experiential church where you needed, needed to experience God. And I'm not saying that you never experienced God, but he ain't no boyfriend. I don't ever say eight, but that was appropriate, right? He isn't, right? He doesn't pursue. This is a thing. If your faith is built on this experiences that you have, built on these these emotions that are are elicited when it's just the right music, and oh, the favorite song comes on, and you start feeling the the goosebumps, right? Like, if that is, then you're going to end up being very disappointed because as you grow up and you deal with adult life and you deal you know sometimes you don't feel anything and this idea that the closer you know the closer you are to God the more you're going to feel of him is such a lie right sometimes we are we see we're relational so we desire and God is relational too so he desires to be close to us But how he's close to us is really different in different seasons and different times. And so you might feel like an emotional response to God. Like, oh, wow, I felt really good. Or you might experience God as you're walking in white clay and you're hearing the spring peepers. And you're like, wow, God, you're just, you know, screaming to me. And he's like, no, those are just the peepers, you know, or whatever. You know, like, if your faith is built on experience and emotions then you're going to walk away from that pretty quickly. And so, oh, we'll, we'll get there soon. Um, actually, so I was reading about Mother Teresa and C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is a famous Christian author who wrote Narnia and all. And he was also like a theologian, very smart. And he said during his time of incredible grief for his wife being um, dying, he said that he wanted God to meet him emotionally. And he kept on knocking on the door knocking on the door. And he said every time he knocked, it was like the door was completely shut. And he said that, you know, where are you, God? And God chose not to respond to him in an emotional way, you know. And, and Mother Teresa, after she passed away, she wrote these confessions. She said she never felt God's presence her entire life. Yet she actually, I probably was closest to God's heart out of all of us put all of us together and we're still further away from Mother Teresa to God than, right? Like, we put a lot in this world on emotion, even in our relationships and our, you know. And the other thing, too, this is, this is the thing about the boyfriend God, is that we have these promises. Like, God says he's always with us, right? Well, he doesn't promise you always will feel me. And it's similar to, like, um, I don't want to, like, minimize my love for Rebecca but we're, we've been married for 20 years. I don't wake up every morning being like, I'm so in love. You know, I don't know. I did my belly show right then. I hope i not. You know, I'm so in love. You know, and I don't skip around the bedroom. And, you know, like, like, we don't feel that. I mean, there's times when it's like, yes, I love you. And there's times she doesn't kind for me or whatever. And it's like, oh, we love each other. But, you know, sometimes love is not about the feelings. It's just you are choosing to, to love and then all that kind of stuff. So you guys get it? A lot of people walk away because they want a boyfriend and they don't want God. Okay, move on. Guilt God. This is one where I think a lot of people who are raised in a religious environment have struggled with all their lives. Have you guys ever felt like, man, I just can't, I'm never good enough. I can't please God. I can't, I can't make him happy. See, this is the God, this is the thing. He loves you, but he doesn't like you, right? He has to love you. But man, you know, if it feels good, he's like, mm-mm right? If it's sexual, he's like, no, 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 right? I mean, like, like, the guilt God makes you feel terrible for anything that you feel other than complete like desire to worship and pray, right? Anything else in life. And this is pervasive for people who are raised in the kind of a strict, real, fundamental, like, you know, religion, where you feel like, like, man, God is never going to be happy with what, I, I, I kind of, I try so hard to please him, but I'm never going to make him feel, and, and people who grow up Like, they want to run away from that God because, you know what? That is not a real God. And my heart breaks for people who learned about God that way in that context. Like, he's a God who will never be pleased, you know? You must make sacrifice after sacrifice, burn offerings, right? It's kind of like the Old Testament God, and it's kind of like grumpy old man God, right? You kind of lump them all together, right? God is up there ready to smite you. He's ready. I mean, it's hard for him. He doesn't really want to bless you. But he's ready to punish you. You know, that's the guilt God. And so many people deal with this nagging guilt. Even when they walk away from the church, they still feel this guilt inside of them. This is a thing. Jesus came and he said, Man, you don't have to live in guilt and fear any longer. Right? This is what I did for all of humanity. Paul says in Romans 8:21, 8, 1 to 2, so now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit, because you're with Jesus, you don't have to feel guilty or condemned, but instead has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. There is no condemnation. And so if you're living under the guilt God's influence, he's not real. He doesn't exist. Let go of him. And then we talked about last week the anti-science God. Right? And, and the anti science God is a big one, right? Like, Christianity and science are constantly at war with each other, and they're fighting. And, you know, the Christianity is like, you know, stop thinking, you know, just believe. And science is like, you're idiots, you know, like, why don't you ever look at the facts, you know? And then Christianity is like, oh, we don't care about facts, you know, we just know we love Jesus. And it's like, you know, this battle, that's like so ridiculous. Because if you believe in a creator who ordered the world, then of course we need to explore it. Andy Stanley says something really good. He says, Christianity and their battle with science is actually, we're hypocrites because we accept science when it helps us. When you have your kid who's sick and you take him to the doctor, right? You have a very natural problem. You take your child to the doctor. You know, what if you got like this blood work and this, and the doctor called you and said, well, this is our conclusion. God's just teaching you a lesson, (laughs) right? No, we'd be like, no, 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 no. I don't want to hear any of this religious garble. I want to hear what's wrong with my kid. I want to know what kind of medicine they need. And I want to fix it. I want you to fix it. Right? Fix it. And we believe in science when it benefits us. But if, we, if science begins to make us question things that we don't want to question, then we're like, Ugh, get away, science. So we know, I know we talked about it last, last week. But that was my spiel on anti-science God. Um, and I would just question Oh, quit thinking, start believing, okay. See, faith in these gods, bodyguard God, on-demand God, boyfriend God, guilt God, anti-science God, it leads to unmet expectations, childish explanations, ill-informed interpretation, and blatant manipulation. Right? It leads to bad things. If you hold on, if, if, if your belief in God remains what you learned in Sunday school growing up, then you're going to have a hard time dealing with faith as you're an adult. And you might, if you want to, sometimes people get so like, oh no, we have to fight for these gods, so we're going to get angry with people who disagree with us. And that's not right, because you're fighting for the wrong thing. And so the true God, oh, and we're almost done. This is great. Um, basically, all these gods our expectations we put on the real God. And God is just saying, hey, can we start over? Can we let, like, let go of the expectations in our relationship? You know, I want freedom. You know, I mean, he, he wants to meet us where we're at. He wants us to discover who he is. And he wants us to put away, like Paul said, put away the childish things, the things that you're holding on to from your childhood. You know, and actually, if we are people who aren't holding on to these things and fighting for these things, I think we become a lot brighter in the world. I think we become a lot more like, like life-giving to people if we don't hold on to these things. And over the winter, I was driving down the highway and a rock hit my windshield. And it made like this little tiny, like one of those little whatever, whatever you call them. Like, I don't, what are they? No, not pebbles. It's a little tiny crack, whatever. But it's something that you can fix. But I didn't fix it. And like three days later, like, it rained, and there was an ice storm, and it froze, and then you guys know what happened. got in my car, put on my heater, and all of a sudden, that little tiny dent in my mirror became this huge crack all the way across. See, if we have, like, these little dents in our faith, like, they could actually grow into huge cracks in our faith where we, maybe, maybe we aren't in the place where we're like, I want to walk away, but maybe we're just, like, It's hard for us to believe, and we just struggle to live life on our own, you know, because we can't really trust God because he's supposed to be the bodyguard. He's supposed to be there for me. He's supposed to be giving me good feelings, you know. He's supposed to set me free, but I feel guilty all the time, you know. He's supposed to, and we have these cracks, and we limp along, but God wants us. We sang that song, let faith arise, oh, heart, believe. I don't want my faith to rise up in false ideas of who God is. I want my faith to rise up in who God really is. Right? I want to believe in the real true God. I want to believe in Jesus who came and he was a perfect reflection of God. I want my faith to be rooted in him alone, not in these childhood things I've been taught. Now, this is the thing. Some of the things you've been taught as a child, they're okay for children. It's good to say that. It's similar to like the question, where do you babies come from? You don't give a four-year-old all the explanation of everything that happened. Why you know, a lot of times it's just, oh the baby's in mommy's tummy. And then as they get older, you begin to give them more information. Right and, and that question is answered in different stages of life. This is the thing. If you always believed that babies just came from mommy's tummy, even when you're 25, sometimes we need to actually reframe and re, let God reteach us who he really is. Does that make sense? And that's why people are walking away. Isn't it sad that people are walking away from faith because of gods that aren't even real? These aren't even true. If we can represent who God really is, We could be attracting people back into the heart of Jesus. That's why Jesus is so incredible because people aren't leaving God or faith because of Jesus. They're walking away because of lies. They're believing. I don't want to believe lies. I don't want to build my life upon a lie. I want to build my life on the truth. Let's stand up together. So we're going to do a few things. If you live... Under any of these false ideas of who God is, God has freedom for you. If you're like, you know what? I kind of do believe in the bodyguard God. I kind of had a hard time dealing with that. You know what? Let God bring freedom to you. If there's guilt in your life, if there is this, this idea that you're not close to God because you don't feel him, like, let God like, change your heart in that idea. Right? We're going to sing and we're going to reflect. And we also, do we have communion today? We do not. Next week. OK, All right, I was misled. I was ready for a communion party, but no <laughs> communion. Um, so let's pray. And as we sing this last song, you know it is well with my soul. Like I would just encourage all of us like, man, are there things about God that I've been taught that really I need to let go of right now? You know, Because God's got a plan for this church. <laughs> He's got a plan for every one of us, and he wants us to be people who attract other people to Jesus. But if we're holding on to these lies and these false beliefs, then then we're gonna be muddying up the water. We're gonna be clouding who he is in our lives. So, Jesus, we we read in Matthew 12 today where Jesus said, you know, come to me all you are weary, give me your burdens. And You know, oftentimes I think about that's like situational, like circumstantial things that are going on in your life that are burdening you. But maybe some of the burdens are these lies that we believe about God, that we need to let go. We We need to put them down. God, I pray, Lord, if we are believing in any lies about you, that you would come and you would just remove them now. And God, we'd be able to think through them. And Jesus, I pray that you would reveal your heart to each one of us. Thank you that you are not the guilt, God. Thank you that you are in our pain and suffering, but you don't don't cause it. You care for us. God, thank you that you have a plan for each one of us. And God, thank you for this this journey over the past four weeks of these hard questions that we've asked and talked about. I pray, Jesus, that you continue to uh, inspire us, God. We want authentic faith, faith, God. We want faith to rise up, but believing in a real God, a true God, who you really are. So God, reveal your heart to us.